Welcome to the Fathom Academy podcast, a podcast designed for the people of Fathom Church to be resourced to go deeper with God. My name is Kyle Knight, and I'm the digital ministry director here at Fathom. Um, thank you all for listening again, um, and thank you guys for checking out these last few weeks. Ever since we've kind of restarted this podcast, um, we've heard some some good input from you, good feedback, um, and we we appreciate it. But we're just so glad that you guys can listen to this. Um, Again, so like I said at the beginning, so that hopefully you um, can go deeper in your relationship with God, with with what we're talking about, with the resources that we're kind of putting out there. Um, but this week, uh, we're joined with our lead pastor, Chris Martin, again. Um, hi, Chris. Hey, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks. Good. Thanks, Kyle, for for making these podcasts happen. This oh, is good stuff. You're welcome. Thank yeah. you for allowing me to make these well, you know, podcasts happen. It's kind of what we pay you for. I know. Um, as as we're recording this, it's Monday. Um, so yesterday, um, Chris uh, continued his series in First Corinthians. Still, yeah, what like twenty six? Twenty six. Twenty six weeks. weeks, and we've so, got how many left? There's fifty two weeks even... in a year, Kyle. So what we've done is a half a year in First Corinthians. Yes, and it's been so good. Well, thanks. I think not it's, kidding. It's been it's been really, really fun. Yeah, it's been great. This is. I think uh, we were talking about it at lunch, but I think this is our longest continuous sermon series. I mean, we've done Genesis and we did the Gospel of John, and those cumulatively were longer, but we broke them up. This, I think, when we're done with First Corinthians, will be our longest continuous sermon series that we've done since we planted the church. So, that's awesome. I don't know how many more we've got left, like ten yeah. or twelve or something. But yeah, it's yeah, we'll be in the thirties, close to forty, I think, when we're all done. So, well, good. Um, so, in, in speaking of that, yesterday, um, Chris's sermon. If you have not listened to it, um, listen to it on the app. It's it's up there. Um, watch it. Uh, it was, it was a great morning where we could gather together to, to do church together, whether you were in person with us or online. Um, but Chris, your, your message was about communion this week. Uh, first Corinthians 11, somewhere in there, 17, yep, 11, um, Paul talking about communion. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, this episode, and really just maybe diving deeper, um, into the sermon. We, this might be a, new sermon series or something, um, that where, um, where we go even deeper into, into the sermon that was preached on Sunday. Um, I know Chris said that he could have talked four weeks, four different sermons or something like that on communion. Um, so this is kind of our way of, again, putting out a resource where we can just talk with whoever was, is giving the sermon, um, just to dive deeper into that topic. I know, um, Chris can't talk all can't talk everything about communion in one Sunday service. So that's what we're doing here today. We're just going to dive into um, communion and specifically communion here at, at Fathom. But um, Chris, I know we got a few questions that we'll talk about, but I really wanted to start out with maybe you could give a quick background of your experiences with communion, whether that was at different churches that you've worked at growing up, what, whatever that is, what communions kind of look like, what you've thought about communion up until fathom, I guess. Yeah, that's good. Um, well, uh, so I've worked at, this is the fifth church that I've worked at and, um, in, in different churches, you know, we've done communion different ways. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned in this, in, in the, the sermon 
yesterday. I, I've been a part of churches where we, we, uh, did it in different frequencies. So, uh, some were monthly, some were quarterly, uh, some, it was just like, there was no real rhyme or reason. It just was kind of whenever, Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't recall ever really working in a church or, and, and, and you guys know, I got saved, uh, at the end of high school. So I really didn't attend church for very long before actually was an intern and started moving into ministry. So I didn't have a lot of attendee experience, but, um, it never, I I don't think I have any memory of ever working at or attending a church that practiced communion every single week. Um, so, so frequency was, was kind of varied. Um, one of the things that we spent time on, uh, kind of addressing was, um, the different modes, like different ways of taking communion. And so, man, I've been, uh, I've, I've been at Catholic churches where you, you know, go up front and open your mouth and you know, the, the priest puts, puts the, the wafer on your tongue, uh, all the way to going and experiencing some higher church traditions with common cup and, uh, you know, made some jokes about that, but I mean, that's a real thing that Mm -hmm. people do. And, um, it's, yeah, I can joke about it. Uh, but it's still, it's, it's a very, um, that's actually a real common practice historically, um, all the way to the rip and dip. I call it the rip and dip, but oh, rip and dip. Yeah. But, but that's, uh, officially that mode is intinction. That's the word for it. Uh, where, um, sometimes you rip off a loaf and you dip it in sometimes like, uh, you had mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, you, you take a wafer and dip it in, but it's always a dip, not a, not a, like an actual sip. sip. Yeah. Oh, there, oh, there we go. <laughs> dip and sip. Um, dip or sip. so I just had a lot of different kind of experiences, uh, under my belt. And I think that's pretty common. I mean, tell Kyle, why don't you answer that mm-hmm. question too? Like you've been, I mean, you've worked in churches, you've, uh, been congregant at churches. Like tell us what your experience with different modes of communion has been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Growing up, I, I went to the same church pretty much my whole life until college. Um, and so from what I can remember, um, it was, I mean, numbers wise, it was a pretty big church, pretty big congregation. Um, and, and contemporary, I think pretty much for, for, for that day and age, but, um, yeah. And so communion there, what I can remember was once a month. Um, I, I believe the first Sunday of every month. Yeah. That's communion. That's kind of normal. Yeah. And it was, um, pass the little communion cups down the row. You take your little individual communion cup. Uh, you never had to get up cause then you, they pass the little, um, little crouton crackers, um, behind it. So you didn't have to get up. You got the, you got your little cup and your little cracker. Um, and that's, that's from what I can remember growing up at the church that I went to, um, working at a church for almost seven years, uh, in my starting in my early twenties, um, or mid twenties, we, we did communion every week. Yeah. Um, and every week. And so that was different for me right off the bat in doing that every week. I was even kind of like, wow, why, why are we doing this every week? I'm not used to it. You do it. We did it once a month and, and even doing it once every week at this church that I worked at was very different. It was, um, Everybody gets up at different times. It was row by row. You get up and you go to the front um, where you would, like like you said earlier, you, we would get a wafer, a pretty big wafer, and we would um, we would dip it into the juice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'd take communion um, going back to our seats. And so those are really the two that I'm familiar with 
another church I attended just, we just, I don't remember doing communion. It just didn't really do yeah. communion, um, or definitely didn't emphasize it, um, at our time there. And so, so I guess just really quickly coming here to, to fathom, I was used to doing it. I've been used to doing it every week. Um, but for me, I think it was really different because I came in the middle of, as we're starting to reopen this yeah, yeah. weird time. So yeah, I guess if, if you have anything else on that, just really well, quick. Yeah, well, go ahead. Let me, let me add this mm-hmm. because I think that that's, there's interesting pieces here to consider. First of all, um, I think that churches that practice it weekly are in the minority right mm-hmm. now. Yes. Uh, that's more of a historical tradition. Um, and I think modern evangelicalism has kind of punted on this and, as I was studying, I didn't get a chance to put this in the sermon, but, um, you, you know, we mentioned that I mentioned that I think that, um, really in some churches in, in evangelicalism, worship seems to be the center point. The mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. seems to be the center point. Um, whether that's an emotional experience or a worship music and, and video and, you know, lights and sound and bands and all of that, that kind of, it kind of tends to be more in the charismatic circles that that uh, is a center point. But then also largely in the Protestant movement, ha- preaching has been king. You mm-hmm. know, the sermon has been the center point of mm-hmm. the gathering. And and that's actually a relatively modern phenomenon because, um, well, and by that I mean like half a millennia. That's how modern that modern. is, <laughs> which in, in, in a – in a 2000 year church history, the last quarter of that really since the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. that's when that shift hap- happened because um, before the Protestant Reformation, everyone was Catholic. And and that's a bit of an overstatement because there was the, the Greek Orthodox movement and, and some of the Eastern churches that were a little different. But the Roman Catholic Church, the center of the Roman Catholic Church is the mass communion, the, you know, the Eucharist. That's that. And, and historically, like I mentioned in the sermon, that's been the center. And until the Protestant Reformation, where there was a big focus and a shift away, almost in some ways, unhealthily away from all things Catholic, um, you started to see the downplaying of uh, the, the the table and the upplaying of the sermon or the, the 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 exhortation, the proclamation of the word. And man, I love the sermon, man. I, I, I love it. I mean, that's my, <laughs> I, I dig it. Um, but I like the course correction that some churches seem to be taking to say, we want both. It's, uh, you know, historically word and table is the Christian gathering. Mm-hmm. We, we engage with the word and we come to the table weekly on the Lord's day with God's people. Yeah. So I guess, um, I mean, you kind of just answered it. You started talking about it, but I guess for those maybe listening who haven't been to fathom before, maybe ever, or what do we do here at fathom when it comes to communion? Yeah. So we've tried, and we'll to, get into like the specifics of what yeah, we've we tried. Use, we've but. tried to think through this. And actually when we planted the church and I proposed to our core team that we would uh, practice this every single week, there was a little bit of pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's coming out of traditions where, Hey, we did it once a month. We did it once a quarter. There was communion Sunday or whatever. Um, and, and some of the pushback was, will this rob if we do it too often, do we rob it of its specialness, right? Does, does somehow it's almost like, yeah, I think of it like Christmas. If you had Christmas every single day, would it really make it mm-hmm. as special as it is when it's once a year? And that's, uh, the, almost like a scarcity mentality that drives up the value of communion. 
Um, but but in in that moment, I, I was pretty compelled um, by my understanding of church history and the the biblical uh, narratives and scriptures that that I felt like, man, this is something. I mean, we sing every week, and that don't get you know. I mean, I get maybe it does get old for some people, but like <laughs> we do that every we preach preach sermons every right. single week. We pray every week. We read the scriptures every week. Why wouldn't we come to the right. table every mm-hmm. week? So we do it every week here. Uh, we have normally practiced it right after the sermon. And and we uh, I say most weeks that we do that because this is kind of the apex of our time together. We we preach the word, and then in response to hearing the word, we come to the table to remember the gospel. And so that's meant to be the, the pinnacle. The sermon is not meant to be the pinnacle, though it takes the most time. The sermon is meant to set up the pinnacle, which is uh, the table. Um, and then when we started in this facility, we had it in the back of the room, uh, just really out of sheer logistical need uh, to put it in the back. We have this weird dead space in the back of the room that we thought that would be a good kind of utilitarian place to put it. Uh, but a little over a year, well, almost two years ago, I guess, we moved it to the front of uh, of the room. Uh, and that was intentional because we felt like that meant something to put it mm-hmm. in the front where everybody can see it, where it's in the light and it's in, you know, I mean, essentially trying to put it in front of us, that that is actually, it's not something relegated to the back. Now, that's a small thing, uh, but we're we're trying to be intentional with that. And then uh, up until uh, really coronavirus and, and going uh, online and stuff. Uh, we would we would kind of do what you said. We would file into the the front of the church, and everybody mm-hmm. would kind of go through, and there would be a song going, and it would be kind of you take your 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 cup and you take your your cracker, and you uh, either take it there at the table or you go back to your chair and and kind of partake on your own. Um, but then, obviously, with coronavirus, we've we've shifted a little bit, and so now we all take it together um, as as kind of a full community, which. There, there's some wins to that because we're doing it all together, which I love. There's a little bit of loss in that. I was going to um, ask it, you, what are the positives and negatives yeah, that yeah. you see in that? Yeah, I mean, the win, I, and I mentioned that in the sermon. Like, I love the fact mm-hmm. that we're all doing it together. It feels more communal. Um, the downside, you don't have the time that you did um, to really, if you feel like, man, I just need to do some business with the Lord, you feel like you might be rushed mm-hmm. or or it's a little bit, it might feel a little bit more rigid. It doesn't feel as kind of reflective and and you don't maybe get the same experience of examination that you did in the previous uh method. I don't I don't know which one trumps the other. I just feel like it's kind of it's kind of there's pros and cons. So, um I don't know what the win the the ultimate win will be. We'll probably have a conversation with the elders about that uh when if and when we get the opportunity to kind of mm-hmm. reopen fully, but uh yeah, so so that's I I guess that's kind of the best you know I, why do we do the method we do like the cups and the little crackers? I just mm-hmm. think rip and dip is gross. It'd be a lot cheaper and a lot easier to set up if we just threw a loaf up on each bread on each table and one cup of juice instead of filling, you know, all those little cups. But yeah. dude, it's, it just kind of grosses me out. How, how do you like the pods, Chris? Whoa, those pods. <laughs> first of all, stop it. <laughs> first of all, the pot, if you haven't been in person, uh, let me explain the pod. Actually, why don't I, why don't I move to an expert? Because I, in fact, have not even had go. a pod. Uh, I would Honesty. love to hear Kyle describe the pod. <laughs> Honesty. Well, yes. For those of you that don't know, Chris does not partake in our pods. There's a reason. <laughs> yes, there's a reason. But we all 
partake in are pods that are they're they're prime they're good um but chris has his own crackers and his own juice in a little cup so um and i know he complains about how his little crackers are stale but i don't want to hear any of it <laughs> if you're not taking the pods with those wafers the wafers everybody the- who's hearing me who has been to church over the last couple months and has taken these little pot communion pods they know the wafers are nice and chewy yeah they're not they're probably not um you know fresh not the best no yeah but yeah. but what a common grace to have i mean i mean that yes. i mean that totally seriously mm-hmm. the fact that there are individually prepackaged sealed and clean oh yeah i don't i don't think there'd be another way to do communion uh, in a contact free way. No. Uh, if we, if we were, if we didn't have those, uh, we'd be in trouble. Right. Um, so yeah, so I don't use the pods because it's just, I'm trying to talk on stage. They're also really, the, they, in your defense, they're really loud. They're, you yeah. Them. If you're in the room, I don't know if you can hear it online, but if you're in the room and I'm like, Hey, get your communion stuff. And all of a yeah, sudden you hear like, there. you know, 50 crinkling, you know, packages going yeah. at the same time. It's a weird thing. So, okay. Just, I guess on that, on that note, um, like why, and maybe this is a, why does fathom do it as opposed to other places? I don't know because everywhere I've been a part of a church, um, and this, I think to some people, this sounds like a silly question, but why grape juice as opposed to maybe some churches who do use wine? Um, why do we do it that way here at fathom? Why yeah. do some churches do it that way and not the other way? Yeah. It's confusing. Yeah. So, so let me, uh, I'm have to wager a guess at a certain level because I honestly don't know the historical, I'm, I'm sure that there are those who do know the historical reasons behind it. Let me wager a guess. Um, uh, n- number one, it has not always been done with juice, mm-hmm. right? It was not bread and juice that Jesus used. Was it it was bread it and it was wine. It was real <sighs> wine. So so the Baptists, the Nazarenes, the teetotalers, like you guys can take a bre- deep breath. Jesus <laughs> actually drank wine. So it was legitimate alcoholic wine, fermented grape juice mm-hmm. that was used in the Passover meal and in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and for, you know, goodness, centuries, it's been wine. Uh, my guess would be that it came uh, in, in in some of the maybe, well, goodness, I don't, I don't even know historically when juice would have uh, begun begun to be used. Uh, my guess is that it has more to do with, uh, uh, just caring for people who struggle with alcohol abuse. Um, there are some churches that offer both juice and wine. Um, there are some churches that, uh, offer juice because they have, uh, in their tradition, they practice that children, uh, are allowed to take communion and maybe they don't want children to have wine. I mean, there's lots of different reasons you know, personally, I would, I, I'd be fine if we used wine. Uh, I think our Baptistic tradition lend itself to, uh, using grape juice and, mm-hmm. um, maybe we will change that at some point. Maybe at some point we would, uh, offer both. I don't think we would ever offer just wine. Um, just for that reason that being sensitive to the alcohol issue. Uh, but is there a right or a wrong? Well, I mean, biblically it wasn't grape juice. It was wine. So, so if you really want to take it literally, you should drink, you should do wine. But, uh, I, I think the, the spirit of, of the, the element is probably a little bit more important though. I, you know, Hey, do a little man of or something like that. I, I think you can, you can do wine. That'd be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I guess on, on those lines, um, 
talking about believers only communion, um, why believers only? What is, what is that? Yeah, yeah. To those who are like, I don't really get that, or can I take communion? Should I be taking communion? Yeah. So let that. There's different. There's di- again. There's different theology views, mm-hmm. philosophy views on this. Uh, so we practice what we uh, what what's kind of traditionally called uh, open communion. Uh, open communion means that uh, we uh, we believe that any uh, professing Christian can take communion here at Fathom. There are some denominations and some churches where you have to be a member of that congregation to take that communion. Uh, and so that would be a more of a closed table uh, where like, even if you are a Christian, even if you're, but if you're a visitor, they they would say they they want communion to be done in the covenant community of their church. It's not meant for guests or outsiders, which is one way of looking at it. Um, and, and, and so we practice open table communion where anybody who is a, uh, a born again Christian is welcome to come and eat and drink and celebrate with us, even if it's their first or last time uh, worshiping with us at Fathom. Uh, we do practice a, a, almost every week, unless I forget to, uh, what we call fencing the table, put, putting a fence around mm-hmm. the table. Uh, and and uh, and that's when I say, if you're not a Christian, we'd ask for you not to partake, to abstain from communion. And I say every week, that's because this this is a is a it's a, a practice, it's a ritual, it's a celebration that actually represents and proclaims that you are a Christian. Uh, and we want non-Christians, non-believers to feel welcomed, but we also want to acknowledge that there are parts of what we do that are for Christians. So, I mean, when you eat or drink, I mean, it's what we just talked about in First Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Like if you, you eat and drink, you can eat and drink judgment on yourself. Mm-hmm. You can, you, you need to discern, you need to examine. I mean, this is really, you are declaring the Lord until he comes again. You're proclaiming his death until he returns. So, so we believe that communion is for Christians, um, and we 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 practice open table communion for all believers who gather with us. That's awesome. Um, you, okay, you gave me this question to ask you, um, and I'm sure a lot of people, maybe some people, don't wouldn't understand this question. So you'll have to explain it a little bit. But is communion a sacrament or an ordinance? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so and why is that an yeah. important? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, now this we could get into deep, and so I'm just mm-hmm. going to do cursory stuff, yes. and I'm not an expert, but uh, if you uh, have uh, maybe a background at all in, uh, or you've taken like a religion class, or you maybe uh, come from a Roman Catholic background, you'll you'll know the word sacrament because uh, in the Roman Catholic Church there are seven sacraments that uh, that Roman Catholics practice, and sacraments. Uh, to, to my best understanding, in 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 the Catholic view of things, the Roman Catholic view of things, there are um, they are kind of like milestones or or um, milestones is a good word, maybe uh, maybe even like um, their practices. Sure, let's call them that practices that that are mediated by the church for the individual as means of grace, as ways for uh, one to progress in their relationship with God and their sanctification. I don't know what language they would use, but there are seven of those, uh, and, uh, including, you know, your, your, uh, 
your baptism and your first communion and confession mm-hmm. and last rites and marriage. And th- I mean, there's lots of them. Uh, I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing some, but um, so, so that, that idea is that was called a sacrament. Now the, uh, the, the Protestant reformation said, Hey, five of those things probably aren't sacraments. Uh, they're, they're, they're things that are great and they might be even useful and, and even mm-hmm. maybe commanded, but, uh, they are not actually sacraments. And so Protestants historically have, have kind of paired that back to say, we really believe there are two sacraments. Uh, there are, uh, we, we believe baptism and the Lord's supper as the two sacraments that Protestants practice. Now, uh, what, what, uh, what has kind of progressed out of that is that um, a, a sacrament, kind of technically in a Protestant tradition, is um, is defined as something that uh, that Jesus commands us to do, and it's an outward expression of an inward reality. So uh, it is an outward demonstration or 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 expression of something that is and has been done internally in the believer. So baptism, for example, it is this outward demonstration that you are being buried and resurrected with Christ, Mm -hmm. that you're, you are dead to your sins and you are now like a good Baptist walking in the newness of life as you come out of the water. And so it is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. Uh, communion is the same thing. The Lord's Supper is the same thing. It is this outward example. It's it's these physical things that you can see and touch and taste in this case, uh, bread and wine, and it's this outward. Uh, um, you you are you are seeing it and you're showing it and you're eating it, but it's representing an inward reality that the gospel is actually the center of your being, that, that Jesus died and, and offered himself as a substitutionary atonement, a sacrifice for you. And, and, and when we go to the table, we remember that. Uh, we, we, we celebrate that, and we put that on display once again. So that's the, the, a sacrament. Now, um, in, in some Baptistic traditions, they punted on the word sacrament because they, they kind of felt like it was a little too Catholic. Uh, and like it, uh, more, more, maybe more seriously, they felt like it insinuated that there was salvific powers or something associated mm-hmm. with those two sacraments, with baptism. And there are some who believe that, that when you are baptized, you are saved. That, that you are not saved until you are baptized. Mm-hmm. I think that's bad theology, but there was, or that, that um, coming to the table is uh, efficacious in some way that it would actually, you, you are actually um, gaining some sort of salvation in the midst of coming to uh, the table. Uh, again, those I think are problematic theologies, but ultimately they, they punted on sacrament and kind of moved into the language of um an ordinance. And they would just say an ordinance is essentially just a different term to unload kind of the Catholic burden of sacrament. So is it a sacrament? Is it an ordinance? Uh, I, I don't really care. I use <laughs> sacrament just because I think it's more historically accurate. Um, but it, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I think there's two of them. I think they're outward expressions of inward realities. Uh, they are not merely symbolic but they are certainly uh, not a means by which you find salvation. And that was, that's a good theology course, right? There. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, again, and, and what does that mean? Well, it just means that we, we don't want to think too little of the table. And we don't want to think too much of the table. 
Right. I mean, that's really where it comes down to. It's and I use this as the illustration. It's like my wedding ring. Okay. So I'm holding it up right now. This wedding ring is a symbol. This is not my marriage. Like I take mm-hmm. this off and I set it on the floor. I am not, <gasps> not unmarried, right? <laughs> uh, Chris Martin is not on the market at that point, right? Yeah. Essentially, this wedding ring is a symbol. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. The inward reality is I'm taken. Like I, uh, you know, I am Marcy's husband. I am Chris Martin married to Marcy Martin. I am not available. And this is an expression to everyone who sees me that I am a taken man. Uh, and the same is true in some ways with baptism and the Lord's Supper. We are proclaiming and demonstrating that mm-hmm. we are Christ's, that we're not on the market, like that we we have been bought with a price. That's we a have c- died with him. We have been raised with him. And now we live under the, the covering of his sacrifice. Yeah, no, that's that's good stuff. Um, okay, and, th- and just thinking of... Um, your, you just, you just did a sermon on this yesterday. Um, what, this is a personal thing. What was, did you learn anything new about communion as you were, you yourself, as you were studying this? Um, is there, is there still something each week maybe that just personally you learn something new or you get something different out of it that kind of makes you just love communion and love what it represents and love doing it. Yeah. I think the the thing this, this time through, as I studied, as I preached and I brought this up, but, um, the third point that I made in my sermon, that together, that communion is meant to be communal, that it is, uh, it is personal, but it is not private. Like those, it, it I, I felt the communal aspect of it more today or, you know, this, this time around. Um, I love the individual part. I love the inward part. I love mm. the reflective part. Um, believe it or not, I'm kind of introverted. Uh, and so to do my alone time and to think and to process and to reflect like that stuff is good. It, I, I can really engage well in that. But um, man, I, I walked away from this study thinking communion is for the church. Like this is for the building up of the body. This is mm. this is it is for me, but it's for us. Um, and so I, I don't know what that means long-term for us, if there will be any changes to our practice long-term, uh, but I, it's for us. It is a communal event. It is meant to be a unifying factor, not a, not an individual factor. And so, man, I, I hope that, that we can, we can, uh, really figure out what that means for us long-term mm-hmm. as we, as we move forward, um, that, that this is really meant to be a sacrament of the church, not individual at all. Man, and I think that's a perfect a perfect thing to keep in mind, even especially during this time for those who haven't joined us in person, who are still online watching us, doing their own communion at home, getting that together and taking that with us, that that's some encouragement to the church online still saying, like, they're, they're a part of this. Like, yeah. we're we're together doing that. And that was actually going to be my last question was what kind of encouragement do you give, you know, those who are, who are still not here, if they don't feel that communion part of it is kind of lacking from their couch at home. Yeah. Yeah. Where the ideal is lacking grace abounds. <laughs> right. So that's, uh, I mean, we are in an, on an unideal situation here. So let me, let me address two crowds. One is the crowd who wishes they could be here, but for the season of COVID, uh, are, are remaining at home, uh, for you w- where the ideal is lacking grace abounds. Um, 
for those who are finding us online and maybe online feels great, but you're nervous about, maybe you've mm-hmm. not been to church. Uh, maybe you've never been to church. Maybe you haven't been to church for a long time. Maybe you've got some church wounds. Um, man, I would encourage you as you feel comfortable, um, come visit, like come be like, it's not meant to be done on your couch. Like it's okay. It will be okay. Um, but you're missing out. Like you're just missing out on, on what this is actually supposed to be, which is about the church gathering together and declaring the gospel once again to each other and to ourselves. That's good stuff, Chris. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're kind of running out on time. So thank you for kind of diving deeper into, uh, your sermon yesterday. And again, I think just listening to pastor Chris, we can can tell that he could speak four more times on this. Um, but it's good stuff. Um, yeah, thank you guys for for listening. Uh, so, so much again, uh, stay connected, uh, with fathom church any way you can. Um, if you don't have our app, download it, fathomchurch.org slash app, where you can get this or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on there. Um, you can listen to the previous ones. Last week's was a good one with pastor Chris as well, talking about, um, fathom church and upcoming stuff this fall. We've got some really good things coming up, um, that you'll want to, you'll want to be a part of. Um, and so thank you, Chris. Um, thank you everybody for listening and, um, check back in with us, uh, after this for some more resources to help you go deeper in your relationship with God. Um, we'll catch you next time. Church. We love you. See you later. Bye-bye.